Sergeant Brady's Crime Pod is a true crime podcast that may discuss mature topics. Please listen at your own risk. In 1985, there was a series of sexual assaults in the Arbutus and Catonsville areas of Baltimore County, including rapes on October 23rd, November 13th, and December 4th. Authorities dubbed this sexual predator the Sunglass Rapist. In December of 1985, you were promoted to corporal. Um, I would imagine at that time, there still wasn't a ton of female police officers, probably less corporals. How did the guys uh, react to having a woman boss? Well, actually, until you just asked that question, <laughs> I never really thought about it. Um so I didn't have any problems with anybody. I actually was, when I first got promoted to corporal, I was actually sent back to Wilkins Precinct. That's where I was um, right before I went into the COPE unit. And um, I mean, to get promoted to corporal, we all had to take tests. I mean, they weren't, it wasn't easy. I mean, we studied for, all of us studied for weeks. Some some people studied for months um, because for corporal's test you had to pay. You had to obviously it was the highest scores, and it's whenever there were openings. So luckily there was enough openings for a bunch of us that had studied and scored high enough to get promoted. So yeah, I guess I was probably the only female. But at that point, I wasn't didn't think it was really that unusual because I never really thought till you just asked me that <laughs> I never really thought about it so and I don't think I ever had a problem because I learned from some really good supervisors sergeant I had in narcotics Joe Cross my first sergeant he was just absolutely awesome you know the sergeants you know that I had you know prior to me ever getting promoted to corporal Kenny Redding was my sergeant in the motorcycle unit um, and in between they were all just so nice and the ones you know that I thought were really awesome as supervisors I always determined that if I ever became a supervisor I would try to be just like them so I treated my people the way I wanted to be treated and um, so I really didn't have any problems being a supervisor I just had a lot of fun and I always had such good people they really you find out as a supervisor if you know if you give them, you know, the power to do what they're supposed to do and not try to look over their shoulder at everything because, I mean, you're supervising police department. I mean, just like you're in the military, but in the police department, for sure, you're supervising people with guns and that can kill people. <laughs> so, you know, if they've made it through the academy and they've made it, you know, at, on the street as officers, it's like, I'm not going to second guess my, the people that work for me. I'm going to give them the tools that they need and the backing that they need to do the right thing and do their job. So I guess that was, and that's what I learned from my supervisors. Um, 
if I could, um, and I actually did this all through my career, if there was ways to get um, the people that work for me into schools, because that was always the hard thing to do because it was always a manpower issue. You know, um, I would try to do that because I was fortunate to be able to go to a lot of schools up through my, actually my entire career. So it never hurts to learn a little bit more about different areas of crime and get some so expertise schools, in you it. you mean additional training? Yeah, I mean, and basically in, I mean, like whether it's sexual assaults, you know, you could go to schools, um, criminal investigation schools, there was just, you know, wiretapping schools. There's just so many interesting schools that if an officer wants to move to a different field inside the police department, whether it's detectives, vice, narcotics, homicides, CID, that it always helps that for them to be able to go to schools. And patrol was always the hardest hit, you know, and the hardest to prop to try to get people in schools because of manpower. You're working, you know, you're responsible for the how many cars you have on the street. When I first got promoted to corporal, the only opening that there was available on when they got down, when they were on my part of the list was as an admin corporal, which sort of sucked, but it was either that or go back to the uh, radio room. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. So I said, I'll go to the precinct because at least I was in a precinct. So um, when I went to that precinct, I went back to Wilkins Precinct and is the captain's admin. And I had several officers working for me that did the crime prevention, a lot of things that um, the captain's responsible for, especially with the community. But then also had the um, officer, um, the paddy wagon, um, and some civilians that were working for me too, I was in charge of. But um, because of being the admin, there was also another corporal's position that was, he was in charge of detectives that were out of the precinct. So I was good friends with him and I got to work side by side with him and um, basically the different shift supervisors if they needed anything. And by being a the admin corporal for the captain, I was able to hear about everything pretty much that was going on in that precinct, as in cases and, you know, crime. And I end up becoming friends with a really good, so smart corporal, Sid. Um, and he happened, he and I were talking, and he had told me prior to me coming back to Wilkins as a corporal that they had had this these horrible rapes and, you know, stranger rapes. And... They were calling the guy the sunglass rapist, but actually what he was putting on these women were welding glasses. And if you've ever seen welding glasses, you're completely blinded it, and it was always nighttime. So when you put these dark, he put these dark glasses on these women, he came up behind them and grabbed them, and he always had a gun. Um, they literally couldn't see anything. I mean, he blinded them. And the more Sid talked about it, you know, and was telling me about these cases, because like I said, it was, I wasn't in the Wilkins area when precinct, when they were, these were happening. He and I both, you know, felt like this guy was going to kill somebody because he always had a weapon. And if you get a, a woman and his victims are always like late teens, early, early, early twenties, you know, just young, that if one of them decide to fight him, is he going to kill somebody? And so that, that went to, led to the next step. And I looked at him and I said, well, maybe we need to do a decoy operation. And he just looked at me and he said, um, I said, because it, it was a very specific area that he was targeting. And um, he had narrowed it down. Sid had done a lot of background on it. He'd had a whole book on this. 
and like where the times, the days, where he was grabbing these women that was always off the of bus stops. Um, I was at the age where, because I was only in my 20s, still even as a corporal, I was still only in my 20s, that I would pass, you know, the age-wise. So um, we figured out, it's like, you know what, let's do it. And um, the only problem we had is convincing the captain <laughs> at the time, Kenny, because you, that stuff on TV where you do decoys all the time, that's pretty much a lot of TV stuff. I mean, we didn't, in the county, you didn't do like a whole lot of that other than maybe in prostitution, you know. Um, but not like going through with prostitution, but as you saw, you know, one of my other, I was talking to you about the massage parlor, but this was like a total whole different ball of wax because he was scared to death that the captain, and I mean, he was, he was responsible for me that, well, what if something went wrong? And, you know, you know, this, whoever this guy is went to grab me and, you know, what if I got hurt? And, so believe it or not, Sid and I were able to convince him we everything would be fine. <laughs> we would have plain clothes in the trees. We'd have plain clothes everywhere, um, watching from everywhere. So I would I would be fine. I would be fine. Plus, in this instance, I'm not a cadet now. I actually can carry a darn gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little so more yeah. So I I had a gun and and I was ready to use it if I had to, but um, so we it was all set up. And well, I go out there, and they're all the, the officers are everywhere. Like I said, trust me, they didn't want me to get hurt any more than I wanted to get hurt. And um, they started, um, we started the detail around the same time, around the same area that he was always grabbing the women, or the ones that he had grabbed prior, the three. And in the middle of the detail, I all of a sudden hear all this traffic and all these sirens going off, and it's like, what in the world? And what had gone happened is three streets down from where I was walking, whoever this guy was grabbed a girl. And she got this time, I mean, it only happened I think once before, she had actually gotten away, got to the police. And of course, you can imagine how fast the police got to her because they were all over the place as soon as the call came out, which is why um, she gave a description of a vehicle and they stopped a guy and unfortunately because of the welder's glasses she couldn't ID him and remember this is in the 80s you didn't have well in her case she wasn't thank God actually physically raped but you had nothing on to be able to hold somebody if she couldn't ID him and she wasn't even sure about the vehicle so um, it, it you know, that was it. I mean, that was definitely him. There was no doubt in her mind, obviously, because of the glasses and, you know, we, thank God we were there so she didn't get raped, but that pretty much ended our detail because it wasn't until a couple months later that, I mean, we weren't going to do it again, obviously, because he was, you know, going to be off hitting that area for a while anyway, and then I end up um, getting promoted not that long afterwards, I don't think. I think I got promoted to sergeant. But, um, and we never got him. I mean, obviously, all the patrol guys were on the alert for, for months looking for the guy. And as much as we could do, the other problem you had with looking for the guy, and everybody was vigilant about it because everybody had the same fears that he was going to kill somebody. This was even, it's bad enough, you know, and horrible enough that he's raping them, but we're scared to death we're going to end up having a murder of one of these young girls. And um, he always used a different car. 
So it wasn't even you mm-hmm. could keep and you could even put that broadcast out, but he always used a different car, so he wasn't stupid. Mm. In March of 1987, the sunglass rapist struck again, and Sergeant Brady was placed as a decoy on the evening of April 17, 1987. This same evening, Emily was walking to her apartment in Arbutus, Maryland. She typically worked during the day, but on this day, she was walking home from a night shift. As she was walking, an African-American male ran up behind her. As she turned to see him, she noticed he was carrying a large double-edged knife. He instructed her to turn around and held the knife to her back, saying, don't do anything and I won't hurt you. He then took her wallet containing $50 and placed welding glasses over her eyes and began to escort her back to his vehicle. The man told Emily he would only be keeping her for half an hour. As he tried to place her in the passenger seat of his pickup, she grabbed for his knife. He hit her across the face and she took off screaming. Since police were doing surveillance in the area, they were able to quickly talk with Emily. She described the man's vehicle as a small silver truck, a foreign model with a stick shift and a cloth interior. Although Emily was unsurprisingly very upset, she was able to tell police the route she had been walking. Thaddeus Clemens was pulled over driving a silver Toyota pickup truck away from the area of Emily's attack. He was questioned by police, but due to her attacker placing welding glasses over her face, Emily was unable to identify him and he was released. The sunglass rapist would go on to commit at least one more rape in January of 1988. So we're passing over a lot of your career for the moment, but in 2004, you became the first female sergeant of the SVU unit? Yes. Yep. And um, I had been in the unit for three months. And a matter of fact, I was on Christmas vacation. And my corporal, Steve Duffy, called me at home and said, "Um, I think, Sarge, you want to know about this. But we had a CODIS hit on a case where you're in the police report. And I said, okay. And by this time, I'd had like 27 years on, I think, at this point. So it could have, I had no idea which case he could be talking about. And I said, what case was it? And he said, well, you were a corporal at a time. And as soon as he said that, on, you know, I'm on the phone with him, the hair, the back of my neck. And he said, and did you do like a decoy operation? I said, oh, my gosh. I said, who? And I don't even know how. The name of this guy ever stayed with me for 17 years. The guy that was stopped at the time I was doing the detail, maybe because it was such a different name. I, I don't know, but he, I said, please tell me that you, who you have is Thaddeus Clemens. He said, yeah, that's, who, that's who's in the police report, and that's who the codice just came back to. I said, you have got to be kidding me. So apparently that night we did stop the rapist and didn't know it because again you didn't have dna then and we didn't have you know our victim at that time none of our victims could have picked him out because every single one of them prior to that couldn't give us a description because they never got to see him 
So how ironic is that that 17 years later, we have, we finally get him and we only had DNA on one of the cases, but it was such a clear cut MO case and MO is modus operandi, how he did it, that the state's attorney had no problem charging us charging him with all of the cases because it obviously could have been no one but this this guy mm -hmm. and um so we were able to contact all the victims that he had raped and you know the attempt kidnapping and let them know um that we arrested somebody and it was funny because 17 years later <clears throat> i went to the state's attorney and i said i think we need to do a lineup and they said what are you talking about <laughs> and i said well Actually, one of the victims out of all of them actually was able to see him and had done a composite back then. And we had um, we had gotten uh, one of my detectives was good with the identikit, even though they were no longer we never used them for years. But she figured it out was taught how to to put the identikit numbers because that's what was in a police report of like the nose and everything like that. And she knew, excuse me, how to put the picture back in you know, actually developed picture. And when I was looking at the picture she came up with, it's like, you know what, I, I can look at this picture of this identikit and see that's a person. Mm -hmm. So if I could tell that, and after seeing Thaddeus Clemens now arrested, he looks like that picture except 17 years older. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I didn't have faith in all but one, I had no faith in all but one of the victims because I knew the other ones were no way, even though they were all gonna come to you know, see the lineup and we were gonna have him say something, but 17 years later, are you really gonna remember the voice? And you know, you're a victim of a rapist, some victims may, all those years later, the majority, that's a tough call. To see him though, maybe yes. And so that's what I said, I think we should take a chance on it. And um, there was one Baltimore City case that he was also was a CODIS hit that we got that was so we invited told Baltimore City if you want to bring your victim you know to our lineup go ahead and bring your victim too because we're doing a lineup mm -hmm. and um, it was pretty amazing I think I probably maybe I don't know if the rest of them were surprised surprised I wasn't because the one victim that picked him out that had done the drawing all those years ago she had been a very angry young lady because she was only in her teens when he did this to her and I remember her saying, once we had um, gotten the kit, the code to sit on him and they inter went back and course interviewed everybody again to make sure they were good to go with this. Mm -hmm. um, she said, I, the only thing I can tell you is, after this happened to me, I went and got a gun or I was gonna go get a gun. That's what she said, I was gonna go get a gun and I was gonna hunt him down wherever he was and kill him. And it was just, she, it was such a horrible, 17 years for all these women obviously a victim of a rape could tell you that not never knowing that the guy walking next to you was the one that raped you and um but she was also when my detectives got with her 17 years later and it's to different detectives obviously than what she dealt with all those years ago she was still very angry she was angry at us because we hadn't called him she was just angry with the world and she was not going to cooperate at all at all and you know the detectives are so good at you know talking to 
um, these women and call them survivors. I call them victims because I want to use the victim term because I want people to realize what monsters these person. They didn't go after survivors. They went after victims. So for court purposes, you want the survivors to be victims because you want the jurors to see what these monsters did to these women. But anyway, um, and she said, I might come. I might. I don't know. So I'm in like a different floor of the building when they're doing the lineup and um, the lineups and um, I get this phone call from the front desk and they said, we got a lady here. She said she's supposed to be here for a lineup or something. I said, I'll be right down because I knew the other five were already there. So mm -hmm. I knew it had to be her. So um, I sent the detective down and I went down just to see her and um, you could tell she was very angry. And she goes with him. She goes up in the elevator. She goes to you know to the um, where the lineup room was. And I'm like outside, you know, at a desk. And you know, it didn't seem like that long. And she's coming back and down the hallway. She's going. And the detective, my detective's like, you know, coming at walking like real fast out of the lineup room. I said, what happened? And he said, she came in. And this is how lineups go. It's pretty much what you probably seen on TV. They're pretty accurate. You have the defense attorney, you have a state's attorney, and then you have the you know defense attorney, obviously for the suspect, but you also have the state's attorney, but you have a robbery detective that would read the lineups because, and do all the visual, set everything up, and do all the talking to the um, suspect and the, the people that are the fill-ins. Um, because they used to do robbery, you would figure they would do a lot of lineups, so they were the mm -hmm. experts at it. And um, so that the victim would go in, they'd say to the victim, you know, the person can't see you, the guys are all lined up there, I'm gonna have each one step forward, you know, say something, and then, you know, what would you like them to say, and then step back. And so it takes like 10 or 15 minutes. Well, I asked my detective, I was like, what's going on? He said, well, she walked in, the, the robbery detective tried to say something, and she said number four, turned around and walked back out. And I said, and was that him? He, she, he said, oh yeah, well said, go and get her, <laughs> sit her butt down and get the statement from her. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 17 years later. Mm -hmm. Psh, walked quick. in two seconds, saw him, didn't even let them finish saying says number four and turned around and walked back out. So it was, it was a good day. It was a good day. Were so. they, the CODIS hit, was that just a backlog that had never been run before? No, how, nope, how it happened, um, he had actually, because, and I still think it was he, I know, I think there was one more rape after we had done the detail, but he had gotten so close to being caught <coughs> that I felt that he decided to go after a more vulnerable target, even though, you know, teenagers off of buses and young women, you know, with a gun, to me, you know, it's like, really, you know, as much as a monster. So what had put him in CODIS is he had actually went after his wife's granddaughter, five-year-old granddaughter, a small mm -hmm. child, in Baltimore City, thinking that he was going to get away with it, probably because it was Baltimore City, I guess, for some reason, he thought he'd get away with it, and it was a young child. He actually got convicted of it and ended up in prison. I think he got like 10 years or something. He was out by the time we were looking for him after we got the hit, so we had to go get, go get him again, which was not a problem. But yeah, I mean, thank God, because that's the arrest that put him into CODIS and conviction and the conviction of yeah, raping his wife's five-year-old granddaughter. So another, you know, the most, he thought that would be the most honorable. Thank God 
you know, that the family stood behind this little girl and they, pers- you know, pursued yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Because he would have not stopped. Mm-hmm. If, he, if that hadn't happened, he would have still been raping. He would have felt comfortable again, obviously he did, to keep on doing it. So Thaddeus Clemens' DNA was entered into CODIS um, from the Baltimore City case. And in 2004, when you were in SVU, Baltimore County got a hit. Why were you looking into older cases? Or why was the 1980s sunglass rapist case being processed or looked at it again? So what happened when I was still a sergeant in homicide, um, I remember that in the sex crimes unit, because at the time I took over sex crimes, it was still called that. We hadn't changed the name to SVU. But I remember there was a detective in sex crimes on light duty. And in the truth, in the early 2000s, I guess, when it was, and she was tasked because she was in light duty to actually go through our evidence room for the supervisors and anything that was in homicide or to do with a homicide or a rape, um, she needed to, she was to te- check the, the evidence to see if it had been processed. Because remember, you didn't even get into DNA until the late 90s and early 2000s. So I was aware of that happening in reference to homicide because if she had come up with any cases, then it would be given to her lieutenant, and then it would give my my homicide lieutenant, and then he would give it to the two sergeants, myself and the other sergeant, if it referred to any of our homicides. So we knew that there was evidence, you know, available, possible evidence available in our cases. So that was obviously one of the cases that um, they had found DNA evidence. So then they had already, before I ever got there, it had already been submitted before I even got to, to SVU the sex crimes and it just happened that the hit came three months after I got into sex crimes <laughs> what are the odds <laughs> what are the odds what are the odds because it could have very well if it had happened three months prior to that it would have been you know the other sergeant mm-hmm. and I would have been in homicide mm-hmm. being told about it <laughs> On December 23, 2004, Sergeant Brady obtained an arrest warrant for Thaddeus Clemens, charging him with three counts of first-degree rape committed in 1985. He was also charged with the attempted kidnapping and armed robbery of Emily. During the 1988 crime, Thaddeus Clemens had escalated to holding his victims at gunpoint. And on January 19, 2005, he was served an arrest warrant charging him with first-degree rape, kidnapping, a handgun violation, and a fourth-degree sex offense. Thaddeus Clemens pled guilty to the charges in August of 2005, 20 years after the initial rapes. What's going on? Let your mother know. Your mother wants to know. She's an inquiring mind. Mind. Is it mine or mine? <laughs> Call in to get service. 